You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, listen, I wanted to tell you guys about our July 4th party here at Bayshore. Our 40th anniversary as a church will be celebrating. Here's what's cool about July 4th. Now, if you're planning to go to the beach on July 4th, come here first. Uh, We're going to give away Vandewin ice cream. How many know that's worth coming for, for sure? Vandewin ice cream and popcorn, lots of great things happening. But uh, also on July 4th, we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary as a church. This is our 40th year together. And also uh, our Rehoboth campus is celebrating their 10th year, 10th year. So they'll be celebrating on July 4th as well. And where Fenwick Island campus will be celebrating their one year anniversary. So it's big anniversary weekend. And here's another thing on that Sunday, we're going to be doing baptisms. And if you haven't been baptized yet, you can uh, be baptized that Sunday. We're going to be baptizing multiple people to celebrate our fourth anniversary. And we'd love for you to be baptized if you haven't been baptized. Now, what you can do to sign up today, there's a little Bayshore card in your, uh, in your chair there. You can pull it out and it's got a place on the back that says, I want to be baptized. You can fill that out and give it to us before you leave today. And we'd love to baptize you on that Sunday. Hey, we want to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus and we're glad glad that they're joining us today. And we're really excited about our Fenwick Island campus and let's give them a big hand and uh, so glad you guys are joining us. Okay. So today we're going to be taking a break from our crazy uh, church people series and we're going to be talking about uh, fatherhood we're going to be talking about dads today and it's such an important subject that every time we come to Mother's Day Father's Day I want to talk to the parents and I want to talk a little bit about how we can uh, be good at the most important thing that we do so we're going to be talking about that now I don't know if you know this uh, fatherhood good father in your life is essential very, very important. And if you didn't have that, God can uh, help you to overcome that and give you lots of grace. But 40% of American children today do not have a biological father connected in their life. That's almost 50%. So what we really need to see happen in our country is we need to see a resurgent resurgence of really, really good dads stepping back in to the lives of children. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about, uh, about being a, a good dad and talk about fatherhood a little bit, one of my favorite subjects. I want to start with a verse in James chapter 1, verse 17, and it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good And perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows? First thing to know is there is no such thing as a perfect dad. No such thing as a perfect dad. Now, if you have issues with your dad, your dad wasn't perfect, well, one of the things that we can collectively say today, there is no such thing as a perfect dad. Now, I happen to believe that every generation of fathers can get better. Every generation of fathers can get better. My dad, uh, uh, I have a picture of my dad and myself and my sons, I think we're going to put on the screen here. And my dad was a really great, great dad. Now, his father 
Not so much. And he had, uh, his father had lots of issues. And my dad, in fact, he played ball with me all the time. And he often told me, he said, my dad never played ball with me. My dad really, really was too busy. And he didn't really engage with me. Uh, and so my dad was a uh, really, really good dad. And I picked up some really good uh, traits from my dad, some things that, uh, that, that he really did well. There were some things that he didn't do well, some things that he didn't do well. And so I was able to take those goods and the bad and build on that and maybe move it forward a little bit and be a better dad in some ways. But my sons have eclipsed me. Joel and Tim are incredible dads, and I believe that every generation of fathers can get better. Every generation of fathers can get better. The most important thing that we can do in life, if we, are, we have children, the most important thing we can do is to be a good dad. That's more important than anything else we do. It's more important than business. It's more important than money. It's more important than prestige. It's more important than hobbies. Being a good dad is more important than anything. Now, you can be, here's an interesting thing about fatherhood. You can be good in some areas of your life and not be good at being a father. Now, interesting uh, example of that would be, would be John Adams, the second president of the United States. If you want to do some reading this summer, uh, David McCullough writes a great, a great historical books at sort of a uh, popular level, very great writer. David McCullough wrote a book on John Adams. It's called John Adams. And I read that a few years ago on the beach. You know, everybody else is reading paperback novels. I was reading the John Adams book. And David McCullough is such a great writer. It's like reading a novel. And when I read that book, I realized a couple things. I realized how good he was. He was kind of a cantankerous guy, kind of a, you know, he was kind of a chip on his shoulder, uh, kind of a cleric, overbearing kind of guy, but he pushed things through as we were writing the Declaration of Independence, and our country was really, really blessed by John Adams. He was a great, great leader, first president to live in the White House. The White House was newly constructed, first president lived in the White House. Of course, he was succeeded by, uh, uh, by Thomas Jefferson. But here's the thing about John Adams, great political leader, great philosopher, great uh, lawyer. He, he actually defended the, uh, the people that shot, uh, were responsible for the Boston Massacre because he felt like the British, even when they were wrong, needed good legal protection. Really, really interesting, great guy, smart guy, bad dad, bad dad. He had a terrible relationship with his youngest son, Charles. Charles, he was very hard on Charles, very critical of him, maybe because of how, uh, uh, how esteemed and how successful he was. He imposed that on his sort of a less driven son than he was and was constantly critical of Charles. Consequently, Charles went into heavy drinking, became an alcoholic, and at the age of 30 years old, Charles Adams died of cirrhosis of the liver. So you can be good at one thing and bad at another thing, and I can tell you that the most important thing you will ever do in life is not to be president, but the most important thing you can do in life is to be a good dad, to be a good dad. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, what, what are some of the gifts that a dad can give to his children. It says in 
James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. What kind of gifts can we give our children as dad? First thing we can give our children is we can give our children as dads a sense of security and stability. A sense of security and stability. Kids need security and stability, and that is designed to come from the dad. The dad is really designed by God to give stability to their kids and to make their kids feel secure and stable. Insecurity often comes from a negative relationship with one's father. And so it's important that we have a good, stable environment for our kids. I was playing tennis this weekend. I was playing this guy named Steve, Steve Miller, a guy from Philadelphia that moved down here. One of my dear friends, uh, Steve, uh, is a great tennis player. I seldom uh, win against him, but I love playing him. And uh, I was playing him. We were playing on clay outside, and Steve hit a drop shot. Now, if you don't know what a drop shot is, a drop shot is a short ball, a slice ball that just kind of goes over the net, and it has a lot of spin on it. And because it's a short ball, it has a lot of spin on it, it doesn't bounce up very high so I'm at the baseline that means I'm all the way back and I see him do this drop shot and I run as hard as I can to try to get to that ball which is you know you would think that would be blinding speed but at my age that is just like I'm just trying to get up there you know so I'm moving up there and I get to the ball and I'm able to kind of like get my racket on the ball, but my, vo- my velocity, I couldn't stop, so I ran into the net, which you can't do if you touch the net, game over, points over. I ran into the net, and evidently the base uh, of the post, the net post, was, was rusted at the bottom, and the, the, tent, uh, the, the, the post, the net post, broke off and fell to the ground. So that's the end of that, you know, we had to go to a different court. And so there was, you know, it was just very fragile and there was no stability there. So in order to be a good dad, you've got to provide stability for your kids. How do you do that? You do it two ways. You do it, number one, you do it financially. You do it financially. I'm here to tell you that one of the most spiritual things a dad can do is to make enough money to take care of their kids. How many know that's a good thing? Going to work and working hard is a very, very good thing that dads need to do. And there are some of you dads, I mean, you are getting it done. You're working hard. You've been taking care of your family. And I can tell you, I grew up in an environment. I did not grow up in a rich home. My parents weren't wealthy. Uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money. We were kind of mid middle class in Sussex County. My dad worked at DuPont's. And when I was a baby... He worked at DuPont's, and he worked shift work on the, on the line there, making nylon at the nylon plant. And when I was a baby, he got laid off, got laid off from, uh, from working at DuPont's. Now, my dad, he could have stayed home, and he could have, like, been depressed. He could have started drinking. He could have got on drugs. He could have, you know, kind of, like, just kind of checked out. And my dad went out, and he got two jobs. He got two jobs to replace the one job that he had at DuPont's, and so my dad just went after it. And uh, men, good dads that bring stability to their home, they just go after it. They work and they make finances for their family and they take care of their family. And here's what my dad also did. He had two jobs, and on the weekend... He washed grain trucks, these big uh, grain trucks, these big, nasty, kind of dusty grain trucks. He washed those on the weekend to make enough money to take care of our family. And never once 
When I grew up, did I ever worry about having enough to eat? I never worried about where we're going to live. I never worried if I was going to have enough clothes to wear. My dad bore that responsibility and he took care of my family, uh, take care of my mom and me, and I was secure. I grew up with a secure environment because my dad worked really hard. And we always had clothes to wear. Every year before school started, we've got new clothes. How many used to get new clothes before school started? Just raise your hand. Now listen, I grew up in the time, now this is going to be educational for you guys that are, are millennials or younger uh, I grew up a time before Amazon. Amazon did not always exist. How many know that Amazon did not always exist? It's amazing. This shirt I'm wearing right now, I, or- I ordered on Amazon on when- Wednesday evening. It was on my front porch by Friday. How about that? That's amazing. Uh, but you know where we got our clothes? We got our clothes from Sears Roebuck Company on Stein Highway. Now, I don't know if anybody's from Western Sussex, and you remember how you got your clothes. How you got your clothes was there was a, a Sears catalog that came in the mail. You got a Sears catalog. How many remember the Sears catalog? You got the Sears catalog. Then there was little numbers on every, you know, pants and shirts and everything you would wear and belts, everything you needed. You would fill out the little numbers on a little sheet. You would either call it into the Sears Roebuck Company or you would take it in the store. Then they would call you and your order was ready and you get these big bags. You come home and you would have these new clothes to wear for school. Now, the thing about it is everybody got their clothes at Sears. So when you went to Seaford School... It looked like a private school because everybody's wearing the same clothes. It wasn't. It was a public school. We were all wearing the same clothes because we all got our clothes at Sears. My mom and my dad, and my dad particularly, supplied that, took care of that. Stability, dads provide stability. They provide stability. I know we have two working incomes today. Everybody's working most of the time. Mom's working as well. I absolutely, you know, have no issue with that. And you ladies work so hard as well. But I believe that there is a primary responsibility on the shoulder of the husband to say, listen, I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe, I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to take care of my family, and I'm going to do what needs to be done. Now, Karen's dad... He was a Duponter as well. And uh, now here's what Karen's mom did for her dad. Karen's mom always, always told the kids, Richard, her brother, and Barbara, her sister, and Karen, your dad is wonderful. Your dad works hard to take care of us. Your dad works shift work. Your dad is a hard worker. She said that verbally to those kids. You respect your dad because your dad works hard. Now, why did she say that? She said that because her dad was an alcoholic and her dad didn't take care of the family and her dad left the family eventually. And Karen's mom grew up in an insecure environment. And when she married Elmer Moore, she married a hardworking guy. He wasn't the most poetic guy in the world. He didn't write her any poetry, I'll tell you that. He was just a, he was just a regular, hardworking guy. But she said, your dad deserves our respect because he works hard. Now, if you're sitting near your husband or you're sitting near, you know, your dad right now, would you just turn to them right now and say, thank you for working so hard. Just say it to them. Thank you for working so hard. You work really hard. Just say, thank you for working so hard. Now, you guys, you need, that's a good thing. Stability in a family comes from dad bringing the bacon home 
Now, I could read you scripture after scripture. I could do a whole sermon on work, the work ethic. Martin Luther and the Reformation, the, work et- the Protestant work ethic. That's born in scripture that, you know, all hard work leads to a profit. Capitalism, it's all in the Bible. Working hard is very, very important. And dads do a good job on that. And I'm not a big fan of like, I should not say this for sure. I'm not a big fan of the government giving everybody money. I'm a big fan of people getting out there and working like my dad, working, getting two jobs, washing feed trucks, doing their job so that they can have dignity. You cannot have any dignity in this world unless you bear the responsibility of taking care of your family. Can you say a big amen? Amen. Second thing that you, the gift that you give to your kids is you give the gift of your presence to your kids. Your presence, your presence. Uh, There's a study done in uh, Great Britain, a thousand families, they did a thousand families interviewed and they found out that the average family spends less than five hours a week face-to-face interacting with their kids. Less than five hours a week interacting with the kids. That's less than an hour a day that they look at their kids and interact with them face-to-face. One of the big problems we have in America, this is a really big concern for us, and we're all caught up in it. It's this whole iPad thing. You know, the iPad, you know, our kids are like, they got their heads down, and it's so easy. It's so easy to, like, you know, give a kid an iPad, you know, because you, like, need a break. You are fried. So give them an iPad, you know, give them two iPads, whatever you need, you know, you want that break. And our granddaughter Willow is now, she comes and spends the night with us every Wednesday. And uh, she's at that stage now where she's like, like pre-teen. She's 11 going on 22, you know, and she's like wanting to do the iPad all the time. And she's into all this stuff and the funny clothes and the spiked hair and all this stuff, you know, and she's doing all that. And, uh, you know, what we try to do if she comes on, on Wednesday nights is we try as much as we can to get that iPad away from her. And this last week, we spent time just playing cards. We played cards for two hours, and we laughed, and we had a good time because face-to-face contact is very important, especially dads need to spend time with your kids. Spend time with them, quality time, quality time. And my dad, when I grew up, my dad uh, would take me out in the front yard, and he would hit me after dinner. He would hit me fly balls. And I would be standing in the back of the yard. He would hit me fly balls. I, I played baseball, little league baseball. I was terrible. I was no good at it. And balls would go over my head. He said, now, Danny, you need to stand back because if you're, you're standing in too close and it's harder to run backwards than it is to run forward. So he taught me how to stand back and come in toward the ball. And he would hit me fly balls. And he would, he would pitch me balls. And he would help me to hit better. And he taught me how to play football. And he just loved that. And when I was 11 years old, when I was 11 years old, he took me to uh, Ford Motor Company, had this thing called punt, pass, and kick. Punt, pass, and kick. And that's where they put a, a, a tape, a measuring tape down the field, and you got to pass the ball as far as you could over that tape. And if it went to the left or the right, they would deduct the distance from how far it went to the left or right. And they would add up that score. Then you would, you would punt straight down that tape and you would kick off a tee down that tape and they would measure it and they would give away trophies. When I was 11 years old, I got second place in Seaford, Delaware. My dad took me to uh, punt, pass, and kick. I keep this in my office and here's what I remember. About the only trophy I ever got. But anyhow, this is uh, every time I look at this trophy, I have a 
flashback. And the flashback is, as I'm sitting in the car after punt, pass, and kick, holding this trophy in my hands, and my dad and I are sitting in the car talking before we go in the house. And he said, he said Danny, I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of you that you got second place. We're going to go and tell your mom, just so proud of you. He did add, I can't believe that girl beat you and got first place. He did say that. <laughs> but this trophy represents a moment. And here's the thing about kids have an internal camera and in their minds they take snapshots that they'll have with them the rest of their life of moments they have with their dad. This was a snapshot. Little did I know, at 11 years old, I was taking a snapshot of my relationship with my dad. And I have another one. Uh, when I was about that same age, maybe 12 or 13, I remember riding horses with my dad. I had a little pony named Missy. He had a quarter horse named Dandy. And we saddled up those horses after work. And it's the fall and the corn has just been cut. And the leaves, there's chill in the air. And I am, I am cantering beside my dad's horse. And we're riding across a cornfield. And I can see my dad riding on that horse and we were spending time together. Of course, we ran down the cornfield a ways, and then our horses, we pulled back on the reins, and then those horses walked, and we talked on the way back. You've got to spend time with your kids. Here's the thing. Kids are born with a pencil-marked question mark on their heart. The pencil mark question mark says, am I valuable? Am I important? Am I significant? Do I really matter? Do I have any value? And it's the job of the dad to erase that question mark, to let them know that they're valuable. I looked at little, uh, little Maximilian this morning and how Nate was holding on to him and he just loves that boy to death and spending time with that little boy will erase that question mark. There's a thing called uh, the looking glass self. It's, it was developed by a, a psychologist in I think 1907 and the looking glass self concept is this. We determine our value by what we think the most important people in our life think of us. We determine our value by what we think the most important people in our life think of us. So if we spend time with our kids, they connect the dots that they're important to the most important person in their life, and therefore, if we're spending time with them, they come away with this understanding that they have value and significance. Now, I'm not saying that this is the answer to everything because kids get into trouble even when you do everything right. But this solves a lot of problems for children when they know that mom and dad love them, they're dedicated to them, and their father would rather spend time with them than to make that company the number one company in the community. Now, that's important as well. So you've got to balance this stuff. Very important for you to do. So spending time with your children is very, very important. Well, here's another thing, and this is a big pet peeve of mine. Um, fathers give their children the gift of pursuit. They pursue their children. They pursue their children. All the days of their life, you pursue your children. Parents sometimes are, are waiting for children to come to them. Uh, they're waiting for their kids to, to make the first move. Uh, as, as a father of adult children now, 
Uh, my, my boys are both very successful. They're clothed and in their right mind. They're working. They got their own money. They, they got, they're doing really well. They're doing financially well and all that. And they're grown up. And, and, and so my, my deal is, is I can sort of fade into the background or I can pursue them, pursue the relationship. The burden of the relationship is on the father, not on the children. So you pursue your children. You call them. I called Joel this week about something. Just He was going through a little something, not feeling well. And so I called him and talked to him. And, uh, and when I visit my children, when I visit Tim and Joel, I talk to them about their world, what's going on in their world. What's going on in Tim's building world, the business world he's in? I know the people he works with. I, I call that the incarnation of fatherhood. You go into their world. I've seen egotistical fathers that the only conversation they can have with their kids is when it revolves around them and their interest. But a good father pursues their children and goes into the, the world of their children to relate to them. I, I personally wanted uh, my boys to be tennis players. I love tennis, and I wanted them to be tennis players. And I put tennis, little tennis uniforms on them to bring them home from the hospital. I put tennis uniforms on them. And uh, you think they, they hate tennis. They will not play tennis. They're not tennis people. They're just not going. I don't know what's wrong with them, something bad wrong with them. They don't like to play tennis. But they like to surf, and they like to bodyboard. And so I went to Nicaragua with my son, carrying, uh, carrying uh, uh, with Tim, took, uh, carrying surfboards. I, I, can you surf? You asked Pastor Danny, can you surf? No, I cannot surf, but I like the concept of me being a surfer. I like that. <laughs> so I got surfing T-shirts, and I got, you know, I got surfing you know, uh, shorts, and, I, and I, I just look like a surfer when I need to, but I cannot surf. But when they were little... I'd sat on the beach when they were in high school. Mom couldn't handle it when they, they wanted to go surf in a storm. And, uh, and, and they would ask their mom, Mom, can we go surfing? This big hurricane's coming up. Can we go surfing? And, and uh, boy, she just, oh, she couldn't handle it. And, you know, of course, I was so easy. He said, you know, boys, just go. You know, it's thundering and lightning. I said, you go surf, you know. Just don't wear your metal helmets. You know, just go out there and surf, you know. And I would sit on the, I would sit on the, in the sand and with a video camera, filming them, getting into their world. Fathers pursue their kids. They pursue their kids. They get into their world. Last point, we're almost out of time. Last point, you give them the gift of your faith, which is a very, very important thing. And I want to read to you one of my favorite scriptures. It's a, it's a great scripture. It's found in uh, it's found in 3 John uh, verse 4. 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John writes, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids is to give them the gift of our faith that we love Jesus, that we're committed to Jesus. I have a picture of me baptizing Joel not too far from here, just down the road when he was a little boy. I don't remember how old he was. This is me. Uh, you can see I had a little hair then, which is an interesting concept there, a little bit of hair. And there I am baptizing Joel. And I don't know how old he is there, but Joel very early had faith. He saw, he saw I believe, that, that his mom and his dad just weren't, didn't have faith just in church. We just weren't, church people but we love Jesus at home 
We, we read our Bible at home. We talked about our faith at home. We had a, uh, a widower, a man next door to us that lost his wife and he was depressed and he, didn't, he couldn't take care of himself. And we made him food just about, uh, you know, three or four times a week. And those boys would take that food over to help feed this man that was struggling. And we let them see our faith as authentic passing on your faith. Let me give you real, real quickly, let me give you the four things you need to do to pass on your faith to your kids. Number one, four keys to passing on your faith. Number one, let it be real. Let it be real. Let your faith be authentic. Let your faith be real. Let it, let it, let it flow out of your life. Let it be not just Sunday, but let it be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Number two, let it be first. Let it be first. Let your faith be first. And number three, let it be consistent. Let it be consistent. And number four, let it be fun. Let it be fun. Legalistic homes where there's no fun, there's no laughter, will seldom produce the expansion of the faith. So fathers, you have an incredible call. You have an incredible call from God to make a difference in the next generation. I remember when, when Tim was born, Pensacola, Florida, August 5th, 1981, seeing him seconds after he was born, feeling this incredible joy and at the same time an incredible call to make a difference in his life. And I want to just pray for the dads today. Would you dads just lift up your hands? We want to bless you for your work, your labor of love. You worked, some of you, for decades taking care of your family. And the Lord says to you, well done, well done. You've served and you've loved your family. Some of you have, uh, yes, dead, you've been Cub, Cub Scout leaders. You've been baseball coaches. You've been basketball coaches. You've been and took them hunting, fishing. May the Lord bless you. We pray for these young dads, Father, that are beginning the journey of fatherhood. We pray that you'll bond them to their children and that you'll change their lives, Lord, through their interaction with their dad. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.